Hey there, misfits. This is Kate. And I'm Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. to say after the that part well i'm always still waiting for the music <laughs> it's like never ending i'm like i can hear it you know <laughs> so the a couple of things to talk about um number one is we finally have our patreon going it's literally been months but it's up hello misfits come to our playground yes i think we're, we're calling it our little um Patronian playground or something to that effect. So hop on over there. It's just one tier. We kept it simple. But if you're feeling like you want to throw a little extra support our way or find episodes that, you know, we don't post on the regular podcast, head on over. I got five on it. Okay. Okay. I don't know music and I don't get the reference. Who sings that? It's like, I think it's uh, Luna's and I think he's from Oakland. I do not know musical artists. It's a rap song and it's, I got five on it. Well, I, I, that's not how it goes. Okay. Okay. Interesting that you said rap song because that uh, does play into this episode. Uh, but before we get there, we want to, I just want to tell you, Kale, because I haven't told you yet. We hit 2,000 downloads last week. It was very exciting. I don't know why I get so giddy when I go on that. You need to go on our admin site, Kale, because... It, it will make you happy. Remember sometimes. on our special Patreon episode where I was like, you know how to do all the things and I know how to change my name. <laughs> and I don't know how to change my name. Also, part of the reason that we hit so many last week is because we uh, got a lot of new followers in Australia. So hello, <gasps> Australia. Um, we love you. You're beautiful. And... We are thankful for all of our listeners. We also have um, a lot in Canada. Hi, Canada. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I don't know. I think it's it's exciting when when I like go on and I see like where our listeners are coming from because I'm just like, wait, what? Like we have people in the United Kingdom and we have people in Australia. I'm just like, that's crazy. No, I get what you're saying. It's exciting. It's also like keeps me focused because it makes you think like you you want to you want to do these stories justice because it's not just people that we know listening to us and you want to make sure that like you're getting the information correct right you're being respectful and it's hard i'm i'm i will say this i tell every people are like oh like this is cool and i'm like it's it's hard it's actually really hard to to um you know i have a totally separate day career not that this is a night career because it's like 10 22 in the morning but yeah it's it's work it's it's you're learning about something that like you would never like for me yeah. for you a little bit different you're in the industry and you also like have a lot of knowledge of it I haven't I don't know anything I mean period pretty much I mean I know a lot of things um and I and I like learning I I love learning I think yeah, that's what yeah. like motivates me is I love learning and it's really interesting and see I love research and I'm the same way I love finding out stuff about things I didn't know about, you know? So 
I wish that we could keep this happy feeling going for this episode, but unfortunately, this is a really sad and really tragic one. And this is it, that's why it the whole thing about this podcast is it's raw, it's real, and it's right now. I mean, yes, most of these stories are from the past or have already happened. However, mm-hmm. that's why we bring them to you. And this one is from not that long ago. Before we start, I do want to shout out one uh, website slash social media presence. They're called Black Girl Tragic. And they do a a small spot on this case. Um, Their whole purpose is to just get stories out there of women of color, whether it was violence done to them or self-inflicted that, you know, media doesn't always necessarily pick Mm -hmm. up on. Um, so they're awesome. Their website is blackgirltragic.com. We'll also post that. Yeah, we'll post it for sure um, or link it in the show notes. And their Instagram is blkgirltragic because I think Black Girl Tragic was taken. So blkgirltragic. We'll link it. You should all go follow them. It's, I mean, I just scrolling through their post on their Instagram. It's just like, oh my God. Like, and you know, a lot of them you have not heard of because the news doesn't report it. So today we are talking about Stephanie Elise Mosley. She was born on Valentine's Day, 1984 in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I've always heard Vancouver is gorgeous. I've always wanted to go. Have you been? I have not been actually, um, but I've heard the same thing. That's someplace I've always wanted to go. Stephanie was raised by her single mom, Debbie, in Burnaby, which is the city just east of Vancouver. It's considered part of Metro Vancouver. And Stephanie was one of those kids who kind of burst out of the womb and onto a stage. Those are the best kind of births. (laughs) Those bursts of performances. She was almost dancing before she walked. She started dancing at age two in ballet classes and was a natural. She absolutely loved to dance. Her mom worked in telecom and then eventually went into sales, doing literally whatever she had to do so that Stephanie could continue taking dance classes. Continue in the arts. Yeah. And and there, this whole time as her childhood, we're going to be talking about her growing up in Canada? Yeah. She's from Vancouver. So you know that those classes were not cheap. You have to pay for the class itself. Mm -hmm. Dance shoes, leotards, it Mm -hmm. adds up. And- Stephanie, so I've read two reports. I read that Stephanie also had a brother. Um, But then later on, it maybe sounds like she didn't. I'm not sure if she did have a brother. Like Um, maybe not through like biologically. Maybe it was just. I don't know. I I still. Okay. Basically what I'm getting at is I don't know if Debbie only had Stephanie or if she had another child as well. Um, But I do know that she and her mom were very close. And. You know, she did what she had to do to to provide her kid, you know, the best life. And meet her needs. Yeah. So all throughout her childhood, Stephanie competed in dance competitions and she won tons of awards because she was really good. She studied ballet for years, which is where she got all her technique from because ballet is really the foundation of dance. Absolutely. You have to be so disciplined. It works muscles you wouldn't normally work. If you're trained in ballet, automatically you're going to do better in other forms of dance because ballet teaches you those basics. And not just dance, other athletic um, endeavors. Yeah. A lot of athletes take ballet classes to to help them with coordination, just make them stronger. Mm-hmm. 
So in addition to ballet, she also took jazz and contemporary, and she studied at several dance studios, including Pacific Dance Arts, the Kirkwood Academy of Performing Arts, and Dance Mode Productions, all of which are located in Metro Vancouver. Rachel, okay, I'm going to try to say this correctly, but I'm probably getting it wrong, and I'm sorry if I do. Rachel Poirier, Poirier, it's P-O-I-R-I-E-R. She was one of Stephanie's dance teachers starting when Stephanie was 12 and continuing through her teenage years. She said that Stephanie just had this raw talent. She described her as being this wide-eyed, quiet girl who never wanted to be the focus of the room unless she was on stage. And then it was like, Mm. okay, all eyes on me. Stephanie didn't know how talented she was. And that a lot of the times makes the most talented. Oh, you know, I agree. Yeah. Um, Rachel also said that Stephanie was different from the other young dancers she met because she possessed this otherworldly calm, Mm -hmm. like where the pressures of performing Mm -hmm. just didn't seem to get to her. She could stay calm no matter how intense a performance or a competition was. Rachel also said that Stephanie was really quirky and funny and always joking around in class and making people laugh. And as Stephanie got older, she and Rachel became really good friends. Rachel described her as an unassuming talent, but then when she performed, it was like, bam. When she was performing, she had that fierce stage presence. Like, you could not take your eyes your off eyes her. Your eyes off of her. Yep. Um, so what were the age differences between Rachel and Stephanie if she was her teacher? Because sometimes, you know, the high schoolers will start teaching the youngers. I don't know. I couldn't find an age for Rachel. Okay. I just wondered if, because they were really good friends, and it kind of reminds me of um, the My Sister Sam characters. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably similar to, similar okay. to that, yeah. Uh, Rachel said she just knew that Stephanie was going to be a star. And Stephanie definitely had dreams of stardom. In 2002, she went out to L.A. to pursue her career in show business. Stephanie auditioned as a dancer for a world tour with Madonna. Unfortunately, though, she was cut in the final round. But she made it to the final round. Exactly. Yeah, that's huge. And it wouldn't take long before employment would start to pick up. One of the first people she met in L.A. was Eva Marcel. Eva was also just starting out in her career. Both of them were around 18 years old at the time. And Eva said, I met Stephanie Mosley in 2002. She had just moved to L.A. She was a part of a dance group called Best Kept Secret. My cousin was doing her makeup, and I just thought she was the most gorgeous girl. She didn't have any friends in L.A., so I decided I would take her under my wing. At that time, I was headed to college, and I decided I wanted to be a model, so we made a pact, and we decided we were going to figure this business out and become stars together. Ah, girl empowerment. I love it. Love it. The two of them became very close, and they both started climbing the career ladder together. Stephanie was invited to Japan as a dancer at Disney World, which was a coveted spot to get. It was a huge deal. She then landed an agent, and her TV debut came as a dancer in the Britney Spears documentary, Britney in the Zone and Out All Night, in 2003. Eva went on to win America's Next Top Model in 2004. So... They were both kicking ass and doing the thing. And oh, I yeah. remember when I remember when Eva was on that because I, I used to watch America's Next Top Model. With like, Tyra Banks? In the early years. Yeah. Is that right? I remember okay. when Eva won. Stephanie ended up touring with Britney Spears as one of her dancers. And this would be the first of many celebs that Stephanie would work with. For concerts? Like shows? World or, tour. Okay. Or actually it was her U.S. tour, I believe. Okay. 
In 2004, Stephanie appeared as a dancer in the movie Catwoman, starring Halle Berry. Whoa. Yeah, and is also credited with doing stunts for the film. Catwoman was shot in Vancouver, and up until this point, she was still living in Vancouver. um, Because she had gone to L.A., but since she didn't get that world tour with Madonna, she was like kind of back in back and forth a lot. Okay. Yeah. She would just go to LA for work, but it seemed the whole dance thing was working out. And in 2004, she made the permanent move to Los Angeles. She went back to Canada often and always visiting her mom. Really close to her mom. Very close. So she was there as often as she could be. And her former dance teacher, she would visit her as well, Rachel, because like I said earlier, they had become good friends. friends. Yeah, they would like go out and get coffee and, you know, Stephanie would catch her up on her life. She then got the opportunity to dance with Janet Jackson and (gasps) word started to spread that she was the real deal. All these top artists are like, I want Stephanie Mosley on my tour, in my music video, on my show. In 2006, Jamie Foxx handpicked her to play his wife. Huge. Yeah. In his NBC special, Jamie Foxx Unbreakable, which you can still watch on YouTube. Soon after, she started booking gigs as a backup dancer. Yep. Mm -hmm. A backup dancer for Rihanna, Mariah Carey, Usher, Jennifer Lopez, just to name a few. And she said that J-Lo was her inspiration. So that's like awesome that she got to work with her. But her favorite job was working as a backup dancer for Janet Jackson. Janet. She is on my bucket list of concerts. That would be an amazing concert. And Stephanie was appearing in TV and film. A lot of the things she appeared in shot in Vancouver, actually, which was really nice for her and her family because she could stay close to them. Was her motivation to uh, end up becoming an actress or was it just kind of like, I want to do all the things? I think she wanted to do all the things. Like she was a performer. Clearly, I mean, dance was her forte and that is what got her into the doors of many things. And so, you know, whatever could lead the next step. Exactly. Okay. So she was pursuing any sort of entertainment realm, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Her first TV series came in 2010 with a show called Hellcats, starring Ali Michalka and Ashley Tisdale. Is that was that Disney type of thing? I only know Ashley Tisdale from the uh, same, yeah, high the school Disney. musical or Disney stuff. So I don't think Hellcats was, oh. but I'm not sure. It was it was shot in Vancouver and was about competitive college cheerleading, and Stephanie played one oh, of the Hellcats. Wow. Okay. Yeah. She also appeared as a dancer in The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1, and she was an associate choreographer for that film. <gasps> That's huge when you that get into is the huge. choreography. Yeah. So she definitely had a good reputation, and the artist she worked with liked her so much because she had such a strong work ethic and because she had such a great personality. So going back to what her former dance teacher said about her, she always kept her cool The pressures of the industry and the hard work did not get to her. Her resume was building, but her character remained the same. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This trait would come in handy when she was hired by the queen bee herself, Beyonce. Beyonce. Yep. Stephanie danced in Beyonce's Run the World Girls music video and also went on tour with her. Amazing. Stephanie said it was unlike any other tour experience she had ever had. She told VH1, everybody works out, everybody's focused, everybody wants to do better, everyone wants to be harder. It's like this morale and this energy between all of us that is magical. That's incredible. 
I mean, if you're working for Beyonce, like you better be giving it 210% every day, right? For sure, for sure. But I just want to put out there too, not only do you have the drive to work really hard, but it's the it's the camaraderie and it's the um, everybody wants the same outcome. Mm-hmm. That's really important when you're working in any kind of industry. Oh, yeah. Even teaching. You want that that team partnership. You want people to be boosting you when you're down. Like, you know what I mean? I think that's the thing. It's like having having each other's backs and motivating each other to power through when moments are hard. Yeah. And I think she was definitely one of those people who was great at motivating others. She was she just had such a great demeanor. You wanted to be around her. Yeah. Uh, she continued getting cast as a dancer in TV shows and movies, such as Mirror Mirror, starring Julia Roberts and Lily Collins, Sparkle, starring Jordan Sparks and Whitney Houston, R.I.P. Then she booked her next series, Hit the Floor, which was about the world of professional basketball and featured the L.A. Devil Girls dance team. I think they're supposed to be kind of based on the Laker girls. Okay. They're an elite dance team, and Stephanie played Arelli, who was one of the Devil Girls. This role was a bit different than her others because it required her to do more acting than she had done in previous projects. So she's booking bigger projects, Mm -hmm. getting a little more featured. Professionally, she is seeing some real success and consistent success. She was always working. And which is also making her able to stay in L.A. Exactly. Because, I mean, you better have that money, you know. Mm -hmm. In her personal life, things were heating up as well. Stephanie met rapper Earl Warren Hayes in a grocery store, like you do. Oh, okay. He approached her, and the two of them struck up a conversation and really hit it off. He was probably like, hey, do you think these bananas are ripe? And she was like, guess it depends on when you're going to eat the bananas. I don't know. Um, I'm not <laughs> I, sure. I'll, I'll use those tips in the future. Okay. I'm not sure how the conversation went, but but they were really into each other. After dating for a bit, they got engaged. And shortly after they were engaged, Stephanie was in Vancouver and she stopped by to see Rachel at the dance studio because she wanted to show off her ring, which Mm -hmm. was a big old fat diamond. And Rachel was like, I just need to know three things. Are you happy? Is he a good man? And does he treat you well? I think that's valid. Yeah. And Stephanie was like, yes, yes, and yes. He's great. He's a rapper. But if you look him up, don't judge him by his music. That's fair. And Rachel said, well, is he nice? And Stephanie said, yeah, yeah, he's nice. His music doesn't reflect his personality. I mean, sometimes people, you know, acting in movies don't reflect who they are as a person. Exactly. So I get that. Totally. And sometimes, you know, music and lyrics are poetry and sometimes they're like an alter ego type of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, again, art. Agreed. And Earl's music often contain lyrics that degraded women, referred to women as, quote, bitches and hoes. I, I hate even I, saying I mean, that. you know, that's the thing, though. There was a lot. It's not just him as a rapper. There were many, many um, lyrics out there. Sure. And in his songs, he basically made it sound like women were only good for sex. But Stephanie came to his defense and was like, that's not who he actually is. That's just his music. Like, don't judge a person by what they do for a living, basically. In 2008, Stephanie and Earl got married, and as with any relationship, it wasn't perfect. They had their issues, like everyone does. Nothing that sounded an alarm, though, to any of their Mm -hmm. friends. And, I mean, at this point, we assume that, you know, the mom is 
doing well and in terms of Earl or like what do you mean? Yeah, just um, you know, she's in Vancouver, her daughter's in LA, her daughter just got married. We assume that she was excited and happy for her daughter. Oh yeah, of course. And, yeah. Okay. I mean, the family had met him many times and, you know, they were all fine with him. But a couple of years into their marriage, Stephanie allegedly had an affair with R&B singer Trey Songs. Earl was devastated. Oh. And he and Stephanie decided to separate. Eventually, though, they both agreed to try and work things out. Oh, and reconcile? Yeah. They okay. wanted the marriage to work. They wanted to work through the problems they were having. So they got back together. Was there any kind of um, understanding of as why she had an affair? Was just no, no temptation and, maybe? And nothing that I read ever actually confirmed it, though I oh, do okay. think I do think it happened. Happened considering they had separated and why yeah. that makes Okay. Yeah. So in 2013, the couple appeared in boxer Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s documentary, 30 Days in May. Earl and Floyd were best friends. Earl was signed to Floyd's label, Filthy Rich Records, and was also a member of his money team. So the two of them were really close. Uh, 2013 was also when the show Stephanie was on Hit the Floor debuted. The first season ran from May 27th through July 29th of that year and got renewed for a second season. And the second season ran from May 26th to August 11th of the following year in 2014. Oh, so she had like a... a, um... Recurring? Yes, recurring. Yeah. Yep, that's it. And that summer, Stephanie took a video of herself dancing on set and sent it to Rachel and said, I still got it, Rachel. I just wanted you to see this and make you proud, which is really cute. Aw. And Rachel was so proud of her of success. She had pictures of Stephanie all over the walls of the dance studio. And it was said that stories about Stephanie were basically part of the curriculum there. Like Rachel oh. would always brag on her. If you were a kid signing up for dance classes there, you knew who Stephanie yeah. was. Yeah. I mean, that's partly why kids signed up there because they wanted to train at the same place Stephanie, Stephanie Mosley had. Somebody with success. I mean, she had success. Mm-hmm. That summer in July of 2014, Hit the Floor got picked up for a third season. So career-wise, Stephanie is thriving. She's making a name for herself in Hollywood. She's recurring on a TV show. She's booming. Her personal life, though, was seeing some hardships. Earl could not get over Stephanie's fling with Trey Songs. He brought it up constantly. Which started to weigh heavily on her. On her. Mm -hmm. Not only would Earl bring it up, um, or not only would Earl bring up Trey, but he started accusing her of cheating on him with numerous other men. Like project, or not projecting, but um, just assuming. Assuming, yeah. Stephanie, because Stephanie was in demand in the industry. She's getting the opportunity to work with huge names. Yeah, yeah. Several male performers who I think most would agree are probably a bigger name than Earl. Chris Brown, Usher. I couldn't find any reports or evidence that she had cheated with any of them, though. Plus, she's got the TV show, so I think there was probably some jealousy there on Earl's part. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I don't know. Who's to say? Earl did have a life coach who I think he would talk to for career advice, and his personal life would naturally come up in their conversations. Um, This coach's name is Burrell Wilkes, He's also good friends with Floyd May Floyd Mayweather, so oh, okay. I think they're yeah, all connected. It was like a posse, like yeah. they are all, yeah. Um, that's probably how Earl met him, I would assume. Stephanie would talk with him as well. Burrell, it's either Burrell or Burrell. 
I'm going to say Burrell, said Stephanie was like a sister to him. It sounds like he acted as sort of a marriage counselor for them, but he wasn't. He wasn't a therapist. I think his main purpose was to give career advice, talk about Mm -hmm. business, that sort of thing. And Burrell does mention that the two of them had some problems, but things never got violent. Stephanie was getting tired of all of Earl's accusations, though. She was thinking about leaving Earl for good. But Earl told her if she did, he would kill himself. Oh. Stephanie obviously didn't want that to happen. Right. She felt tied. Yeah. She told a friend that she didn't want to hurt him and she didn't want him to hurt himself. So she was afraid to end things. Now we're seeing this controlling side of Earl. He's paranoid. He doesn't trust Stephanie. She wants out, but is scared to leave him because she's afraid of what he'll do to himself. Plus, they live together, and that can be really hard to get out of a relationship when you're living with someone. They shared a one-bedroom apartment on the second floor of an upscale apartment complex called the Palazzo East. It's in the Park La Brea neighborhood of L.A. near the Grove. Oh, Just to yeah. give you like some context. I actually, I went to the Grove with you, so that, yeah, yeah. Now I know where that is. Mm-hmm. So Stephanie decides she's going to stay and work on the relationship. The two continue Again. to try and work through their issues. Yep, she's she's determined to make it work, and it started to pay off. It reached a point where things seemed like they were turning around. Things were starting to go well, and the two were on the mend. And even Stephanie's family agreed. In December of that year, she was visiting Vancouver as she often did. And she spent time with her family and her cousin, Christopher Lowe, said that if there were anything wrong, they would have picked up on it. Was there any time in this whole spread of kind of separation and back together and, you know, going back and forth of that, that she confessed to anybody that her reservations or anything? Well, I don't know about like reservation. I mean, in terms of, you know, she was kind of getting fed up and... Or safety or anything like that. She was never concerned about her safety. Okay. Earl was not violent. He never, you know, raised a hand to her. Her whole family had met him several times and, you know, they never felt any cause for concern. Mm -hmm. And Stephanie was not someone to keep things inside. Her cousin said, we're a really close family. Stephanie wears her heart on her sleeve. We know everything that's going on in her life. On December 3rd, Stephanie spoke with her family and was really upbeat. She told them things were going really well with Earl. She spoke glowingly of him. So it really had turned around. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that is the last time they ever got to speak to Stephanie. What, December 3rd? December 3rd of 2014. So back in L.A., early the following Monday morning, December 8th, Stephanie woke up and decided she wanted to take a bath. It was a little after 7 a.m. She walked from the bedroom into the bathroom. They were connected. It was like a primary suite, Mm -hmm. you know. And she starts running the water to fill the bathtub. While she's running the water, Earl FaceTimes his good friend Floyd Mayweather Jr. Okay. We will likely never know what the exact conversation was between the two. But according to Mayweather, Earl was upset about Stephanie's affair with Trey Songs. Which at this point had occurred a couple years prior. Like, time had passed. And he's still hanging on to it. Mm -hmm. Earl apparently thought Stephanie was cheating on him currently, though, with other men. And so he called Floyd to talk about it. Even though Stephanie is reporting, like, the relationship's been repaired and we're glowing. And things are going really well. Things are going well. Yeah. And so this is Mayweather's account of Mm -hmm. this. 
According to Mayweather sources, during the FaceTime call, Floyd told Earl he should leave Stephanie and that she was bad for his career. I'm not sure how she was bad for his career. That didn't make any sense to me. Maybe just distracting or Maybe. something because because his mindset is like he's constantly fixated on this one affair she had. Yeah. And that it's just sense. not allowing him to be the person he needs to be in his own career. She, her career is thriving. That makes sense. Another Mayweather source said that Floyd kind of egged Earl on, calling him weak for not leaving her, which sort of riled Earl up. Mm. Floyd denies this. Then Earl started going off, saying he was going to gun down Stephanie. Stephanie isn't hearing any of this because, remember, she's running the bathwater. Floyd reportedly did not know that Stephanie was in the apartment. But when he realized she was, he begged Earl not to go through with the threat. On the, So he's still on FaceTime. Yeah. Talking oh. to Earl. Earl's getting riled up. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. At 7.30 a.m., a neighbor in the building heard a woman screaming. And then up to 10 gunshots. Oh. The neighbor called the cops. And when the police showed up, they were able to bust down the apartment door, but the door to the bedroom was locked. Earl had barricaded himself inside. He, so he was still alive? Yes. They then heard at least one, gun, one more gunshot, and some say it was two more gunshots. So the police then called the SWAT team. To try to get in. The 600-unit apartment complex was evacuated, mm -hmm. and all of the emergency crews that are now showing up brought traffic to a standstill in that area. When the SWAT officers arrived, they opened the door to the bedroom suite and were able to kick down the bathroom door. Which is where she was at. Right. When they entered the bathroom, they found the body of 30-year-old Stephanie Mosley in the bathtub with multiple gunshot wounds and the body of 34-year-old Earl Hayes on the bathroom floor with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Oh, so he he went in there. I thought he had come out, so he was still in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. oh. The Los Angeles Fire Department paramedics showed up and pronounced both Stephanie and Earl dead at the scene. Homicide detective Scott Masterson was on the case and said blood evidence was collected from the apartment below because the oh, water, water from the tub had overflowed and began leaking into the unit downstairs. It was Stephanie's friend, Eva Marcel, who I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. that was called to the scene and had to identify oh. Stephanie's body. So traumatic. I'm not sure how that transpired, like who called her, but she did go down and ID Stephanie's may, body. I mean, maybe she was like a first contact or first emergency, you know. Probably, yeah. Um, uh, someone was interviewing Eva outside the apartment complex, and they asked if she knew that Earl and Stephanie had been having relationship problems. And Eva said, everyone has their problems, but right. if you're asking if anyone knew that something would come to this, hell no. I thought it was a lie when I got the phone call. <sighs> She said, Stephanie was an absolute angel. She really was. She's connected so many people together. She's just loved. She will never, ever, ever be forgotten. She is so loved. And then she breaks down. Of course. That is absolutely traumatic mm -hmm. and something that is unexpected. Yeah. I mean, complete shock. And it's your, it's your friend 
that you have spent years empowering and the same and to lose somebody. And and just like, yeah, so shocking and unexpected. That FaceTime call was still going at the <gasps> time the gunshots were fired. And Floyd Mayweather did acknowledge later that he heard, that he everything. heard it all. Yes. What did he, so did they interview him then I hope? I mean, what? so it took a few days before, before he would respond, but they finally were able to get him to agree to an interview. He didn't sit down with them until Wednesday of that week. And turns out Monday, Monday evening, after he has just witnessed the deaths of two of his friends, he went and sat courtside at the LA Clippers game against the Phoenix Suns and apparently had a great time. He was all smiles. What the hell? That's what I said. But now... Everyone grieves differently. We're not here to judge. Sure, of course, of course. But it is just something to note. And this is neither here nor there. But in 2014, Floyd Mayweather was the highest paid athlete, according to Forbes. For for um, what what kind of boxing is that again? Isn't it like um? It wasn't just highest paid boxer. It was highest paid paid athlete. athlete. Isn't there a term for what he does? Like that's not just boxing. Is it like? I, I don't know. Bo- I don't know. I, d- I, I don't thought remember. it was just like, if you're a boxer, you're a boxer. I don't know. Middleweight? Oh, I'm thinking ultimate fighting. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. okay. I was getting mixed up on that. So so that was Monday night. You know, his best friend had just murdered his wife and killed himself a few hours earlier. And he, and he and not just heard it, but it was FaceTimed. Yeah. So we don't know how much he saw, but... He did admit that he heard everything. The following night, that Tuesday, May the, Mayweather was photographed at the Lakers game, having a great time. He still had not spoken to police yet. Wait, had the, how, how could that be a thing when the police obviously were there with the SWAT team and that was still going? How, how is it that they didn't, you know, go to him and request an interview? And I, Well, they, they had reached out to him and they were reaching out to his attorneys, but they were not getting a response. Oh, I see. Okay. And I'm pretty okay. sure Floyd hung up before the cops showed up. Yeah. I'm guessing, or when the cops showed up, he was probably like, it's time for me to get off this call, <laughs> is what I'm guessing. Right, 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 right. Uh, it wasn't until Wednesday that detectives were able to sit down with him and interview him. After the game. Yeah. They said he was cooperative, but that the information they got from that interview would remain confidential. So we won't know what he said. He did, however, give an interview later to Hollywood Unlocked, which is a celebrity gossip publication. So let's put that out there. And in that interview, Floyd Mayweather states that Stephanie and Earl were both intoxicated when the incident occurred. At 7.30 a.m.? Right. He said that Earl called Mm. him that morning to tell him he loved him. He said, quote, I was sitting with Melissa Brem, which is Floyd's ex-girlfriend, and my best friend Earl called me on FaceTime. We were talking a little bit. He put Stephanie on the phone. I talked to her. Then he reached down and put out a gun. I said, man, what are you doing with that gun? And he started shooting. Then he shot her, and then he put the gun to his head, and that's what it was. Then I had to bury my best friend. Was he was Floyd alluding that Earl what, like it was premeditated then if he was calling him to say he loved him? I'm not sure if that's what he's saying, Seems- but he certainly doesn't give a lot of details in that mm-hmm. statement about what the conversation actually was or what he said. 
all he says, he said is, man, what are you doing with that gun? So he doesn't mention, you know, anything about telling him he should leave Stephanie, telling him that not leaving her is making him weak. He doesn't say any of that in this interview. And it was like a 40 minute FaceTime or something, wasn't it? I mean, it was. I don't think it was that long. Oh, though. okay. Okay. I was thinking it was longer than what it was and that it was leading up to things, but it must have happened more swiftly. I mean, again, we will never know what was exactly said on that call. Mayweather paid for Earl's funeral expenses, but not for Stephanie's. Not Stephanie's. Which had a feeling. pisses me off because he was the highest paid athlete of that year. Her friends set up a, mor- a memorial fund to help her mom pay for her funeral, which is, I, I just don't understand. Floyd's statement does not sit right with me. For one, okay, if he was with Melissa, who was his ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child, why haven't we heard a statement from her? I couldn't find anything Anything? where she Hmm. corroborated his statement or that the police tried to reach out to her to see if she heard anything. Because if it's a FaceTime call and he's sitting right next to her, she's going to have heard everything as well. Right. And you would think that they would want to interview her in a separate to more, room mm-hmm. to be like, okay, so what was said? You know, I don't understand. So that doesn't really sit well. And Floyd stated that Earl and Stephanie were both intoxicated. And I read that toxicology tests might be performed, but it would be up to the discretion of the coroner. And I couldn't find anything saying that those tests were actually run. And I would think that the coroner, I mean... it it seems pretty evident what happened. So it would be strange for the coroner to to take that route of, let me do some toxicology. Well, I could see him doing it if he felt that it it was a male. I'm not just like saying him, but if he felt that it was necessary. On Earl, that it was a necessary, right. But the fact that I couldn't find any evidence that they were run tells me the coroner didn't see a reason to do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Again, if you're getting up on a Monday morning at 7 a.m. to go take a bath, I don't, I just don't think that the whole intoxication thing was real. Yeah, that's odd. I mean, it doesn't mean that they couldn't be drunk at 7.30, but it's unlikely. I That's just my opinion. But let's say for argument's sake that Floyd's statement is all true. He saw the gun, tried to talk Earl down, and then witnessed everything. Why didn't he call the cops? He didn't. It was a neighbor that heard it, heard the gunshots. Mm -hmm. And when the cops tried to reach him, tried to reach Mayweather, he was unresponsive at first. And then he went to the basketball game. And there are photos of him at the game. And he's all smiles and he's having a great time. I think he didn't know what to do. And he was trying to convey some sense of normalcy while he figured out what he was going to tell the police and how much he was going to tell the police. I can understand that. I think it's like the flight or fight scenario of, you know, in a tragic sense of something that's happened, what do you do? Yeah. Maybe he was scared or in shock. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But then four years later in 2018, an interesting bit of info came out. So 50 Cent, a.k.a. Curtis Jackson, accused Mayweather of being responsible for Earl and Stephanie's deaths. In an Instagram post, which he has since deleted, he said, quote, this is Jackson, says, quote, Tell everybody why you was on FaceTime when Earl killed Stephanie and himself, because he was confronting you about fucking his wife. I kind of wondered that. You was pumping all that Trey Song shit. Get the fuck out of here. You don't give a fuck. You just went to watch the ball game. 
So 50 Cent and Curtis Jackson uh-huh. had a feud, like a years-long feud. And they've actually since reconciled and now seems like everything's all good. Like as of a couple of years ago, they were like, okay, mm. everything's fine. And it doesn't appear that Mayweather ever responded to that accusation. But Curtis Jackson is publicly accusing him of sleeping with Stephanie, mm-hmm. blames him for Earl killing himself. Killing himself. I I did I was gonna put that out there um when you said that like the FaceTime was still going and I was like, did she have an affair with him? But I would but she just seems so endearing to me that I don't even want to like go there. And I get it. Things are hard. People and I mean, you know how who knows? And again, like knows? right. Even if she was cheating on him, doesn't mean she deserves to be murdered. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any truth to 50 Cent's mm-hmm. statement, but it is interesting. And it does make more sense to me than Floyd's statement. Absolutely. But I mean, I'm not accusing no. anyone. I don't. I doubt that we'll ever know what was actually said on that FaceTime call. Because the only person who knows is Floyd Mayweather. And maybe Melissa Brim, if she was sitting next to him. But apparently that was never investigated. It, there's no way to retrieve um, FaceTime. Like, you know how some, you can retrieve texts that have been deleted and all, you know, is there anything, nothing? That's a great question. I don't know because it's not recorded. They were just able to tell that there was a call and that's why they knew that Mayweather had been on the phone with him. Okay. So I don't know. That's a really good question. Apple, if you would like to give us some insight. <laughs> right. On that, that would be great things. It all just seems like there's there's pieces missing, possibly. I mean, maybe it was just point Lake got mad. But the Floyd Mayweather, that, that, that kind of just puts a different spin on things, I think. And um, I mean, because again, Earl and Floyd were best friends. Right. And I can see these scenarios happening. I mean, they've happened. These, yeah. these happen. I'm not saying it happened in this case, but they happen. I wasn't going to talk about this, but now I am. So immediately after the murder-suicide, 50 Cent reached out to Floyd Mayweather in a message. And he says, R.I.P. Hayes, as in Earl Hayes, Mm -hmm. at Floyd Mayweather, you are my little brother. Don't you ever do nothing to yourself, no matter what, champ. We can fall out and fight or whatever, but I don't want to see you go out like that. So I don't... No, because that he that was posted 2014, obviously. Then four years later, he's saying, Floyd, why don't you say the real reason? And accuses him. Anything can happen. I mean, people will tell people things um, later. Like, yo, man, I did, you know, when they feel like they can trust someone and then they can have sure. fallouts and then that all comes out. I mean, I'm not saying that this all happened. But right. I mean, again, we don't know if any of this. Right. And these things happen more often than not, to be honest. Like when you think about all these cases out there, you find things out later. What What were some of the statements that her family made after? Did- In regards to Earl? Yeah, just the whole scenario of like losing her and, you know, in regards to Earl her family was stunned because, again, they had never, never right. seen any signs of violence, never felt a reason for concern. That life coach, Burrell Wilkes, even said that he never saw any of this, that Earl was not a violent guy. Stephanie said that Earl had never raised a hand to her. Like, she wasn't scared of him. She was scared right. of what he would do to he would, himself. Mm-hmm. 
And people can just snap. I mean, they can. This can be a thing. I mean, yeah, you never know. Interestingly enough, in 2010, which I believe was around the time of the alleged affair with Trey Songs, Earl came out with a song called Suicide. And it kind of details exactly what happened, where he talks about killing his girlfriend and then turning the gun on himself. And that was in 2010. I mean, maybe he had deep, dark thoughts, you know, and he turned it into a song. Like I said, people get out their emotions and their feelings through rap and poetry and song lyrics and whatnot. Maybe he was thinking that and that was maybe it was like a subliminal cry for help in a way that nobody thought that that would transpire. But then exactly later in life, he snapped and and he just couldn't control his own deepest, darkest thought. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, you you just never know what's going on in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. And maybe Meriwether, like, he was, it's just a tragic event for him because he was... Mayweather. Oh, sorry. May, oh, my gosh. Mayweather. Um, because he was inadvertently involved in it, really. I mean, he heard it all, and maybe he was doing coping going yeah, to that game. Yeah, that's the thing. Cause... Whatnot, and there was nothing. In, it's it's so hard when, when there's no closure when you Mm -hmm. don't really know the full story of something. Yeah. Once news got out that Stephanie had passed, tributes started pouring in. Like I said, everyone was in shock because there was just no indication that anyone saw that Earl was violent or that Stephanie was in an abusive relationship. Like, no one saw any signs. Everyone described her as this light. I did not find a single bad thing said about her. Her dance teacher, Rachel, was inconsolable. She said, it is awful. Stephanie was so refreshing. She was so lovely. To to witness somebody grow and thrive so much and then life tragically cut short. Who, yeah, who you're either seeing as like a little sister or or maybe you feel like sort of a mother figure to her. I mean, they were so close. Paul Becker, he's a Vancouver-based producer, director, and choreographer. He worked closely with Stephanie for about 10 years. And he said, quote, she was just an all-around good, kind person. And then he said, Stephanie messaged me maybe three weeks ago, thanking me for getting her jobs in Vancouver so she could be with her mom. Family was really important to her, and she was so happy when she was with her mom. That's what he said. You know, that's got to be some kind of solace for her mom like she's never going to get over that loss but just knowing that impact that Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lopez said quote I knew Stephanie pretty well she was one of my dancers for a while it was a devastating thing Ashley Tisdale tweeted R.I.P. Stephanie Mosley I'll always remember dancing with you on Hellcats such a beautiful kind spirit Allison Holker, she was on So You Think You Can Dance, and she was one of Stephanie's castmates on Hit the Floor. She said, quote, Stephanie was a bright, inspiring, talented woman, and I am honored I could call her my friend. We shared cries, laughter, and more importantly, a friendship that I will never forget. Mosley, you taught me so much, and I will hold our memories close to my heart. James LaRosa, who is the executive producer of Hit the Floor, said she was just a huge light for us, a wonderful person. And Niecy Nash posted a picture of the two of them on Instagram and wrote, R.I.P., so beautiful, so talented. I mean, that's just a few of the messages that came in. There was an outpouring Mm. of love and support for her. And across the board, people said she was just so 
fun to be around. Like she could be goofy, make people laugh. She was always so generous. And yeah, I do just think about her mom. I mean, it was said that Stephanie was her whole world. She was so proud of her. And it just, it's so senseless. You know, it didn't have to happen. No, no, not at all. It's like if you're unhappy or if you think that your partner's cheating on you, like, okay, then then get get away from that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't have to end two lives. Anyway, so Stephanie's Instagram and website have been taken down, but her Twitter is still up. So I'm going to end this with Stephanie's own words. On November 25th, 2014, she wrote, life is so beautiful. That same day, she retweeted a tweet that read, dancing often increases happiness. And the day before that, she had tweeted, I'm always hungry, (laughs) which can relate. Mm -hmm. On November 28th, which was Black Friday of that year, she tweeted, if only rent was 40% off today. And on December 2nd, she wrote, once on tour with Usher, I spent five minutes dancing in the rain on an outdoor stage in Jamaica. It was the most magical feeling. And that same day she wrote, I'm so grateful for simple things. So rest in peace, Stephanie Mosley. I wish that we could still get to see her perform and, yeah, you know, see where she would be now. I mean, she was on her way to bigger and bigger things. And I love her quotes because it makes her sound and feel just so human and yeah. just, you know, real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's how that taken away is just. Tragic. She seemed like such, you know, a girl's girl. Yeah. You know, and absolutely. A great, like a great friend. You know, she was always there to like lift the other people up mm-hmm. and, and people just wanted to be around her. Yeah. Like Stephanie, we're also grateful for simple things and we're grateful for all of you. Um, Thank you for listening. We hope you keep tuning in. If you're so inclined, you can rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us out a lot. And follow us on YouTube and social media at Horrorwood Podcast. Or you can email us at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're feeling inclined to subscribe to the Patreon, we have some special things over there that don't that, that we're not going to put on the regular podcast. It's only for our, our dear Patronians. So, Patronians. Uh, so we've got a couple of things up on there now, and we've got some fun things in store. So, And we're going to make it a playground for you. A Patronian playground. Because once a misfit, always a misfit. Bye. Bye. Bye.